uh, all technology, all media specifically, that we create, uh, we change it, we evolve it, but it also simultaneously changes us and evolves us. I bet you spend at least four to five hours a day, if not more, on each of those platforms. What did you get in exchange for that? What did you get in exchange? Your time was stolen. It was taken from you. It was hijacked, and you willingly gave it up. Um, that's what I'm talking about, right? That's what we have to be honest about and say, we can live in a world where technology serves us, but for the most part, um, it, we are serving it. Uh, and we have, to do, we have to do better for the sake of all of us, uh, for the sake of our mental health, for the sake of our economies, for the sake of our political uh, structures that we're engaged in. We have to do better than that. If we don't have boundaries with our phones, we won't have boundaries in our relationships. If we can't focus while on digital platforms, we're going to struggle to be productive in our work and off screens. If we use our free time for scrolling, clicking, and being entertained, we're going to miss out on the deep satisfaction from our hobbies and, and nature and life and relationships. Make sure we're heard. Are we gonna hide or live life by our word? With integrity, we can be all that we can see in our mind's eye until we're finally free. We can become whatever we choose. Once we know the choice lies within me and you. Now's the time to wake up. No time for playing small. With a painful history and an uncertain future. Hello, hello, come on, man. Hello, and welcome to the Unapologetically Human podcast. I'm your host, Dan Boyman. Thank you for tuning in. That voice that you just heard was Bob Hutchins, co-author of a new book that just came out last October. 2022 called our digital soul collective anxiety media trauma and a path toward recovery hey can you be quiet Sorry about that. My dog is laying directly behind me, licking herself, distracting me. 
Anyway, as I was saying, Bob is a digital marketing executive with a master's degree in behavior and organizational psychology. And his co-author of the book is Jenny Black, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I was fortunate to have a really great conversation with Bob recently about the release of the book, and I'm excited to share it with you. Our Digital Soul is essentially about how we are addicted to our phones, social media, and technology, and how being connected in the ways that we are and some of the dynamics that are going on um, with the media that we're taking in every day, media that we're being bombarded with, is causing us a lot of problems, <laughs> to say the least. It's traumatizing us in a lot of ways. It is driving a lot of the fear and division that we're seeing in our society in so many ways. And this book is a attempt to lay out what those problems are and takes a addiction framework essentially to lay out a pathway toward recovery. Bob mentioned that it's a pro-human approach to guide you through the overwhelming maze of modern life to the life that you or that we really want. These topics are really near and dear to my heart and a lot of the personal experiences that I've had. I've been really interested in politics and social issues and really using my phone, my computer, social media to learn about and share about all of the things that I'm both concerned about going on in the world and also all the things that I'm interested in. And we all know that these devices that we carry around with us are incredibly powerful machines that can hardly be accurately called phones anymore as the phones themselves along with the software on the phones, the social media companies, the tech giants, they're all set up and incentivized to essentially hijack our brains to manipulate us to maximize the time that we spend on our phones, on our computers, and on these platforms, and to maximize engagement. And 
it's unfortunate and it really may not be at all the intention, but the algorithms that have been sort of driving this maximization of engagement have also figured out similar to legacy news media organizations that if it bleeds, it leads. And it's the things that outrage us the most and make us the most afraid that actually garner that engagement. And this has been something that I've really struggled with personally for many years. Back in 2018, I did some mental health and addiction programs through the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto, CAMH. And I already knew at that time that my, my use of my phone and my computer and being essentially kind of glued in a very addictive way to these platforms was something that was detrimental to my kind of like getting anything else I want and need to do in my life done because I'm always on my fucking phone. (laughs) So one of the programs that I did was a group therapy program that was for behavioral addictions. So Typically, this program is what gamblers would have historically taken. And and the majority of people that were in the group alongside uh, myself and others were gamblers. Because behavioral addictions are all working on the same mechanisms and pathways essentially hijacking our reward mechanisms in our brain and I went into that group for what I termed to be tech addiction and so I was actually the only person this was a a a once a week uh, group therapy where we learned about you know addiction and and the things that were going on inside our brain and how to think about them and how to challenge them and how to work to change the behaviors that were, you know, causing us negative consequences in our life. And there was a few people that were there for gaming addiction, you know, playing way too many video games, but the majority of them were, were gamblers. And... Yeah, I found it really interesting that the framework that they have taken with this book, Our Digital Soul, is in that framework of addiction and recovery. But yeah, it was a really interesting conversation that I had with Bob. And I just want to read you one of the, in the, in the beginning of the book where it has praise from, from others, there's a, a guy, Jeff Goins, the best-selling author of The Art of Work. And what he had to say about the book was, 
The battle between soul and technology continues, and it seems that our soul is losing. This book explains why, what's at stake, and what we must do to live as whole humans, fully alive. Our future depends on us getting this and taking action. And, well, I guess this is me taking action. Look at me go. All right, well, let's get to the episode. Without further ado, I give you my conversation with Bob Hutchins, co-author of Our Digital Soul. And I just want to give a shout out. Friend of mine, Susie, said that she was interested in uh, this conversation. So Susie, if you're listening, just want to say what's up. Thanks so much. Here we go. All right. So it's just going to be the two of us, obviously. Jenny's not. Yeah, Jenny, uh, Jenny had a doctor's appointment today, so she couldn't make it. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for, for reaching out and setting up sure. the, the call. I'm uh, really interested in learning more about you and your book. And it's a really interesting set of topics, um, really uh, relatable for people, uh, for sure, for me. Um, so yeah, we can kind of just jump right into it. Um, let me just make sure I don't have any issues here. I think I'm good. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I obviously I haven't had a chance to read the whole book, but sure. I've kind of perused through it. And uh, it, uh, it seems like the the subject matter is really, really important for a lot of the things that we have going on these days. And so yeah, why don't you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, uh, a little bit about your your co-author and kind of how the book came to be, and then you can get into kind of a bit of the the problem that you guys see and the solutions. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, so my background and my history is in actually digital marketing and internet uh, strategy, advertising. I ran a, a successful agency here in Nashville for about 17 years. And I still consult uh, and I speak and, and, and strategize around a lot of the technology and digital transformation, marketing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I noticed over the past 20 years, because I was in really early in, in, into internet marketing and strategy, and um, was that any type of advertising or marketing you do uh, you become a behavioral psychologist on behalf of your client. Right. In other words, you're trying to figure out, and your client's coming to you and say, I need you as the expert to figure out how to get my customers, my supporters, whatever it is, to act differently because they're not doing what I need them to do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it might be buy something, it might be donate, it might be give up their you know information for leads, whatever it may be. Right. And so I found that I, I recognized that early on. And so I began to just continue to educate myself about psychology of colors and images and words and 
you know, this is nothing new. People have been talking Mm -hmm. about this from the Mad Men era. But um, one thing I started to see was this thread of, you know, uh, I got a hold of uh, writers like Marshall McLuhan, who was a media theorist back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. And he said, he said, he said this, he said, uh, all technology, all media specifically, that we create, uh, we change it, we evolve it, but it also simultaneously changes us and evolves us. Mm-hmm. And um, I found that interesting. And I kept that in the back of my head. And as I, as I continue to go through my career, and in my own life, my family life, my kids, I began to see uh, that there was a change in the way that we um, concentrated, there was a way that we that we related to other human beings. Social media came on the scene that opened up a whole nother can of worms. Um, all of a sudden, there's a sharp rise in anxiety and all these things that that the digital world has given us so much positive. But simultaneously, um, there's the other side of the coin too. Mm-hmm. So about two and a half years ago. Um, I started going back and getting my master's degree in behavioral and organizational psychology. Around the same time, I met Jenny Black, who's the co-author of my book. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And um, she was starting to talk about this. We started to compare notes and we're kind of like the yin and the yang is, is I'm in the digital world. I have written books that are pro-digital, and then she's on the other side going, I'm getting the fallout of all the stuff that you're doing. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I'm always counterintuitive. I'm always kind of contrarian, and I can play both sides of that fence because I think it's really important to be honest and have Mm -hmm. these conversations that if I'm going to be in this industry, I need to push toward more human uh, more, more toward human flourishing and the things that I do on behalf of my clients and for myself. And so um, mm-hmm. that's the genesis of the book and where, where it came, came from. Cool, cool. Well, it's really interesting. I went to school for graphic design and I also did some political activism. So I got training in some of the things that you're talking about as well, as far as, uh, yeah, it, it's just interesting to think because we, we, I think, you know, the average person doesn't tend to think about that. Well, everything that we see affects us, like everything colors have, you know, implications for how they affect us psychologically. It's like everyone knows red is used to represent anger and danger and blue is used to represent sadness, whereas yellow might be used to represent happiness or cowardice or whatever. And typography has all these effects on us, you know, a diamond retailer jewelry retailer doesn't use the same kind of fonts as like an auto garage uses and so there's all these uh really subtle things that are taking place on top of all of the strategies that are being used to market to you know your customers and all sorts of stuff and and then also the McLuhan with sort of like political organization and things like that so it's yeah it's it's really interesting because it I, I, one thing that I, I see about the book that I like is that it seems to be painting this really big picture about a lot of the kind of issues that are happening in a lot of different spaces in our society. And of course, the, uh, the use and overuse of our phones and the, uh, you know, diminishing um, attention span that people have and things like that. And then, of course, the political 
you know, conflicts yeah. and all the controversies going on. It's kind of all wrapped up in to this conversation that the book is about, right? So yeah, absolutely. That's why we called it our digital soul. We didn't say your digital soul. We said our digital soul. And mm-hmm. what that really um, implies is that we are kind of all part of this symbiotic nervous system, i.e. the internet and screen life that we're all mm-hmm. interdependent on each other. And it, and it, controls the way that we engage, think about others, ourselves, and the way that we see the world now. Um, Mm -hmm. That's, we're all part of it. And so it really is this kind of awareness uh, of, of a digital soul that we all tie into, because let's face it, for most of us, it is the number one relationship and the most important relationship that we have. And that's, Mm -hmm. and, and to illustrate that, I say, um, what do you feel like if you go out uh, for the day and you know you're going to be away for three or four hours and you realize that you're 30 minutes down the road and you um, left your phone? <laughs> um, it's like, oh, my God, like that like makes panic. your heart skip like, a beat. Oh, no. hearing about that, right? How am I going to survive the next three hours without my phone? <laughs> Yeah, but we don't think twice if we go, oh, it's been 30 minutes and I told my my significant other that I'd call them 20 minutes ago. We're like, oh, okay, well, uh, it, it's, it, I know that feels a little cynical, a little sarcastic, but here's another illustration. In the world of, of addiction and, and psychologists and addiction, addiction recovery specialists will tell you this, mm-hmm. um, that one of the ways that they work with addicts to determine uh, and to define if you are addicted to a substance or whatever addiction it might be, yeah, is that and they've been saying this for years is what is the first thing that you think about when you open your eyes in the morning? And for most of us, it's we roll over and pick up our phone. Yeah, and I'm not saying, uh, nor am I qualified to say that 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 we're all addicted, but I'll just leave it at that and say <laughs> um, uh, that that it is our most important relationship. Right. And so I don't think it's too far reaching to say, um, you know, that's kind of again the source of our digital soul and where that came from. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I've got my got my phone here. I use it as my alarm. So it's sitting beside my bed. And I, I tend to I, I try to not go on it like onto social media when I first wake up. But yeah, totally guilty. And I I'm qualified to say that if not most of us, many of us, myself included, are addicted to to these. They're you know, the technology themselves, as well as the software, as far as social media and stuff like that, we know from you know. A lot of different research, but even more mainstream things like the Social Dilemma documentary from Tristan Harris on Netflix, that even the people who help to make these devices and the, the platforms that we use, they used them to make them addictive on purpose because that's how their business models operate. And and so there's a lot of problems with that. But um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting framework. I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of you outlining uh, kind of like the, the problemscape 
and yeah. the the solution and the path to recovery because this is really personal for me because I have a, a long family history of bipolar and alcoholics mm. and I, I think that it's it's nice to be able to have conversations like this and for you guys to have this larger framework where it's like it's kind of like this what do humans need to be well and what are we reaching for in order to do that which is what we tend to do for uh, all of the variety of addictions that we reach for to self-soothe and comfort and like what are the problems that that cause for us as individuals and as a society and that it's a it's an addiction framework and a path to recovery sort of framework absolutely is, is really interesting so yeah um why don't you tell me a bit more just about the kind of problem that you guys outline in yeah. the book and the the pathway to recovery. Yeah, sure. Um, I re- reference Jenny, Jenny Black. She's my co-author and, and as a LMFT, a licensed marriage and family therapist, she said about two years ago and, and even more now, she said, Bob, um, it used to be that when people came into my office and we were in a session that the phone and screen life, uh, whatever that meant in context of a marriage or kids, parents, uh, young adolescents, their own personal struggles. It was always a, it was always a, an issue and part of a bigger issue. Hmm. She said that has shifted. She said, in my work and in my colleagues' work, it is no longer an issue. It is the number one issue. Almost every single person that comes through the doors without, without a difference is there's some sort of connection, addiction, problem, struggle that centers around this digital soul, this screen life that we're, that we're in eight, 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And it could be, you know, marital problems, uh, lack of communication, uh, uh, people, you know, affairs being started from, you know, meeting people online. It could be kids coming in with high, high anxiety and depressive thoughts because of comparison of, you know, a huge diet of TikTok or, or Instagram. It could be, mm-hmm you know, uh, boomers that are go that said, I don't have a relationship with my kids anymore. And the kids going, yeah, because you're sitting there scrolling news all the time, and you've turned into this monster. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't, it, it's, it hit all ages, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I say all those things. And I can, uh, to the person listening, it's like, yeah, yeah, another naysayer anti- uh, tech person. And the book was not written to be anti-tech, anti-screens, anti-social media. That's not the purpose of the book. Mm-hmm. The book is to, is very pro-human, right? So um, let's talk about how digital screen life, all of this, it's not going away. No. And like I said, it's my career. So I'm all about it. What, However, we have to also be honest and say, like you said earlier, we are the product. We have to acknowledge that. Like mm-hmm. your time is being stolen and hijacked. Um, none of these companies, whether it's Google, whether it's Facebook, whether it's TikTok, you could go down the list. They make money one way, by your attention, mm-hmm. by your eyeballs, because then they sell that time 
to, to advertisers that says, we have X amount of people that are on looking at our screens on our platforms, we will sell you advertisements. So it's mm-hmm. to their advantage of hijacking your attention. One of the exercises I do is uh, I, I like to do this when I go and speak to schools or colleges. And I'll say, um, uh, think about your favorite platform, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. I want you to think back over the last two or three days. And I want to, I want you to tell me three of three posts and the details of those posts. And I rarely ever get a response. And they're like, oh, I, I can't think of any. Oh, maybe this one was kind of funny, but they can't give me a context. They can't give me mm. details. And so I said, I bet you spend at least four to five hours a day, if not more, on each of those platforms. What did you get in exchange for that? What did mm. you get in exchange? Your time was stolen. It was taken from you. It was hijacked and you willingly gave it up. Um, that's what I'm talking about, right? That's what we have to be honest about and say, we can live in a world where technology serves us, but for the most part, um, it, we are serving it. Uh, and we have, to do, we have to do better for the sake of all of us, uh, for the sake of our mental health, for the sake of our economies, for the sake of our political uh, structures that we're engaged in, we have to do better than that. And so mm-hmm. the book is really talking and laying some of those things out. It's looking at a lot of different studies and, and um, research that has been done. Um, and then coming to a conclusion that, okay, this is not just our opinion. We, we cite the experts, we talk about recent studies. And then at, toward the end of the book, we talk about some real practical ways to move forward. Uh, so that we can recover and that we can live in harmony with this technology, not it totally consuming us and changing us and and involving us into the worst version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And as far as the uh, kind of some of the research and the studies go, is there anything that kind of stands out to you that you like to talk about as far as some of the most interesting stuff you've come across? Yeah, we the, the subtitle of the book is Collective Anxiety, Media Trauma, and a Path Toward Recovery. Mm-hmm. So Jenny really, I think she was one of the first ones to really coin the phrase media trauma. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of us think of the word trauma, and I know it's overused now, and it's, it's being, it's very popular in society. Mm-hmm. But in a nutshell, you could define trauma as um, when we are placed in stressful or difficult situations, and uh, that's not the trauma. That's the event. The trauma is how yeah. our body responds. That says we don't have the uh, emotional capability to deal with this situation, mm-hmm. and so therefore our physiological um, coping mechanisms kick in, uh, and we find ourselves reacting in ways after the event is over, sometimes weeks, months, years, um, that we can't no longer control. And mm-hmm. so, um, and one, one study specifically, you mentioned studies that haunts me to this day, and I, I use it all the time, 
There was a study done. Do you remember the the Boston Marathon bombing a few years back? It was probably back yeah. in 2013, 2014. Yeah. At the end of uh, the Boston Marathon, some somebody actually blew up a bomb and they they caught the person. It was a chase that lasted, I don't know, a day or two. Anyway, um, uh, within just a, a couple of months, two, three months after that, there was a study that was done of a couple thousand people and they split them in half and half of the people were actually present at the event witnessed mm-hmm. it was were there in the midst of it the other half were people who consumed it online on media and the purpose of the study was to um, measure the effects long term short term effects of the stress and mm-hmm. the the you could say trauma on individuals right. And what they found was the people who viewed it on media and on screens were more affected than the people who were actually there. That's crazy. It is crazy. And you say, you go, oh, that's, how is that even true? Well, yeah, like, how is that possible? Like the people who watched it on social media and online were quote unquote traumatized worse than the people who experienced this horrific thing in real life. That's yeah. Wild. Yeah. And here, here's the science behind it. Um, when you are, are go through something stressful, uh, when you are traumatized, whatever it may be, uh, and you see this in animals who are out in the wild, you, you can see it on documentaries, the lions chasing a gazelle, somehow the gazelle gets away. Uh, it goes and hides under a tree and it shakes and it, you know, moves its legs like it's running in place. And after a few minutes, it gets up and it saunters away. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the, a very uh, simple illustration of the parasympathetic, you know, the nervous system and the brain and yeah. animals to, to, to work it's those stressful situations out because you know, as Western uh, Americans, as, as Western, you know, first world people, we think, oh, everything is right up here in our brain and it's in our eyes and I can process it. And that's all there is. Well, it's not. Uh, we have a whole nervous mm-hmm. system of body. And so when you're there physically at the event, i.e. the bombing, your your fight or flight, your whatever kicks in and you're able to respond in the, in the way of some people running and screaming, some people hiding under a table, some people calling 911, some people going to the aid of the people that are injured and actually helping them. Mm-hmm. And that's the body getting out and processing it. But when we don't have those opportunities and yeah. we then view the same event from many different angles repeatedly, our brain does not know that it's not necessarily actually happening yeah what we do is we go here's what we do oh my gosh that's awful swipe oh my gosh that's awful (laughs) again and again and again and again and again and again and our bodies is is just craving to go oh wait a second i've got to process this and we Mm. never get the opportunity now just multiply that time a bazillion a million yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> a million different traumas day. a million different horrific things yeah. we see online every day or, or might come yeah. across and then we day. wonder why 
oh, yeah, I can't sleep or I'm <laughs> yeah. depressed. I'm just or... not feeling great these <laughs> yeah. days. You know, did you see these 10 horrible things that happened this past like two days? <laughs> and it doesn't have to be like horrendous. It can yeah. be things like um, we won't even talk about the dopamine and all the positive stuff. But, mm-hmm. but let's say you've like you've just gone through a bad breakup or you just got divorced or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden you get a healthy dose of three hours swiping through Instagram, seeing your friends and contacts, putting their best foot forward and going, I have a great relationship. Look at me, how successful I am. Look at my successful marriage or whatever it may be. Um, That's that's equally uh, disturbing to our nervous systems as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are the kind of things we talk about when we talk about uh, media trauma. Uh, and we talk about some of the studies uh, that are out there that are starting to look at this. I just heard today that I think it was just released that Instagram uh, has a do not disturb, you know, do not turn off notifications thing yeah. that you can actually turn like a do not disturb uh, button like you have on your iPhone. They have it for the app itself. Yeah. Um which I think they're starting to get a lot of pushback from regulatory and other people like us who are saying, you know, you've got to do better um, because this is having an effect not only on young people, but all people. So it's a baby step in the right direction. Um, But this is the world we live in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's deep, it's heavy. And it just, it seems I I like to, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm in it just like everyone else. I, I, sure. I, I use my phone too much. I have a, you know, wide variety of complicated things going on in my life. I'm going through a breakup right now myself. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, whether you're going through a breakup or whatever it is that might be happening, whatever might be stressing you out, leading you to maybe, you know, lean on checking your phone and checking the notifications and getting the dopamine hit. And, you know, that's how I communicate with a lot of my friends and families through the various like conversations on apps and stuff like that. It just seems like it's the easy thing to do. It's so easy to just pick up your phone and and, well, and how, how many people have had the experience where, you know, maybe you go to check an email for something very specific, or you go on Instagram to like message your friend about something specific. And then you find an hour later, you get off of it. And you're like, shit, I didn't even do the thing that I was like supposed to do. So it's like, it's the the easy thing to compulsively do that gives us some upside, right? Like you were saying, like there obviously are positive benefits and soothing and things like that. But like with any addiction, it really, the, the problem manifests itself in the negative consequences for interacting with behaviors or substance use or whatever it might be. And not being able to stop doing that, despite knowing that there are these negative consequences. So yeah, and on the positive, and on the positive, even on the positive comments. I mean, you know, the illustration that that I always talk about is: imagine you go outside and you go for a walk down the street in your neighborhood or wherever you are, and there is a line of people on the sidewalk or whatever it may be, and every 
10 seconds, they're, they're patting you on the back going, good job. You look amazing. Oh, great. Oh man, you're the best. Oh, wow. You look hot today. You go, <laughs> you're like, I'm going to go walk by that line again. <laughs> yeah. You would go, you would go, if that was my life and everywhere I went, that's what people said to me. You'd go, that's really unhealthy. Um, yeah. And yet that's not sustainable, but yet we do that for hours and hours a day. We get addicted to that, like positive padding mm. on the back. Um, and that's not, that's equally not healthy for us, just like the negative things, but you know, that's not how life is. We, yeah. we, we don't get that in real life. And I understand there's a time and a place for that. And that social engagement is, using emojis is, is, is a way to, to show emotion and, and engage mm-hmm. in a more human way. But, um, but we've got to do better. Um, and we've got to get back to the deep core of, of who we really are as human and get back in touch with that. Cause those, that's the only thing that's going to allow us to move forward in positive ways. Mm-hmm. So what, what is the path to recovery? How do we start to, to do that as individuals more and, and more collectively? I think we have to, we have to stop um, viewing, and, and this is a big one for me, uh, and we, we're going to have to go a little deep here, but we have to stop viewing this as simply a tool. I think that's a cop-out. I think it is a it's way- It's so much more than that. Yes, so it is an extension that. of who we are, right? Yeah. All technology are extensions of our bodies, of our souls, of our. So, for instance, um, you know, I use the example. Uh, you know, McLuhan talked about this. Other people have talked about this. But when somebody invented the wheel, um, it was an extension of the foot, of the legs, right? Somebody mm-hmm. goes, "I can use this wheel to create a cart." To, to move and leverage and move things further. I can then use it to make a cart that a horse can pull so I can travel further. I can mm. it then evolve into automobiles, right? Yeah. So, so these inventions and these technologies, you can't just say they're tools. They're actually extensions of our bodies so that mm. these, these things that we create uh, change us physiologically and physically. So the human being of today, who, as a result of the invention of the wheel and the car and all that, we now have suburbs that we can live miles and miles outside of the city. We don't have to walk where we go. We mm-hmm. don't have to, we have much shorter time spans, time spans of, of how long it takes to get places. We can go and explore other places. That's a very different human being than the human being of a thousand years ago who had to physically walk everywhere they went. Um, you would yeah. argue, you could argue that say, you could say that, well, it's really not a natural position to sit behind a wheel of a car with your legs up, one pushing, you know, one element, the other, you know, driving a wheel. That's not a normal human um, physiological way to, to sit for hours at a time. But we do it, we've adapted to it, and it has changed us. And for so many positive ways. But also, you could say, we're probably not as healthy, we can't Mm. walk for 25 miles a day, like, like maybe our ancestors could. Um, 
And so all of that to say, that's a simple example of saying we can't just say it's a tool. Um, and so we have to get to that point. And then we have to say, okay, uh, I can I can go with you that far. But if we're going to change, we also have to say, if we don't have boundaries with our phones, we won't have boundaries in our relationships. If we can't focus while on digital platforms, we're going to struggle to be productive in our work and off screens. If we use our free time for scrolling, clicking, and being entertained, we're going to miss out on the deep satisfaction from our hobbies and, and nature and life and relationships. And so um, it, it goes to that old saying is how you do anything is how, how you do everything. The yeah. same is true of our digital life. Um, and so I think that awareness, that acknowledgement is the first step. And then the second step, and we, we lay several of them out in the book, is here's a simple thing that anyone can do that will help them to get an awareness and get back, uh, back your, your attention and maybe some of your, your brain space. Practice being bored. Uh, yeah. We've lost that ability, so many of us. Next time you're in line getting coffee uh, at a coffee shop or you're waiting at the DMV or something to anytime you have to wait, look around and it's amazing how uncomfortable we've become with just mm -hmm. standing and looking around and doing well, that. Well, that's when we have the urge to exactly. you know, any any second of waiting in a line or anything like that, where we'd be like, oh, I could do something on my phone. It, you just, you have that urge to, I catch myself and I, I do try to have the awareness to be like, oh, I, I'm having the urge because I ha have to wait in a grocery store line for 30 seconds to pull my phone out and check my messages or go on Instagram or something. And to, to fight that, to have the awareness yeah. to be like, no, just, just, just be in yeah. this tiny little moment without this, it's essentially like a crutch of some sort to not be bored or feel uncomfortable feelings or be with ourselves. And yeah. And that, and the importance of boredom is this, it's when your brain, your brain uses that time to recharge. It also uses that time to solve problems in your subconscious. It also uses that time. Your brain uses that time for creativity. And yeah. so, and so what you may feel is wasted, boring time is a part of being human that's extremely necessary. And without it, we reach that cognitive load uh, and we limit our creativity. We limit our problem solving because we never give our, our brains uh, a chance to a break, <laughs> uh, just, just, just a break, just be bored. Yeah. Just like, Hey, brain, chill and do whatever you want to do in the background and recharge yourself. Um, and so I would encourage everyone just to try that for a week. Just try. Now you're going to feel weird because you're going to be the only one looking around while everyone else is on their phone. Um, and another, another practical way along the same lines is next time you're with someone having coffee or a dinner, or you're connecting with them, it's going to pop up pretty soon where they're going to go, Oh, can I just take this? I need to respond to this text. Don't pull out your phone as well. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the reflex, right? Like that's what we're, again, it's that boredom or it's a socially acceptable thing to, okay, now I have to do it as well. Don't do it. Um, resist those, those, those things that we've trained ourselves 
to do that that really aren't really healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beautiful thing about all of this is our brains are have plasticity and we can change. We can we can heal from this. We're not stuck in this, and this is not uh, something that that can't be fixed. Uh, Any of us at any time can change these behaviors and habits. Jenny, my co-author, I mentioned her, um, she went on a fast for like 35 days with no phone. And then she only uses um, a phone that has text and phone calls. So, um, you know, that's another extreme. Um, Even me saying that gives people the sweats, I'm sure, that are hearing this. (laughs) But it kind of goes to the point as well. I was listening to a podcast the other day. I forget what it was, but they were talking about how, because like, you know, one of the, uh, I think one of the the like poll quotes from looking through the PDF of the book says something about how like, no one, no one needs to see the data. Everyone knows that media and our smartphones in particular and social media and stuff like that are harming us. Like everyone has some, some personal understanding of that. And, and so people are, you know, even some of the people that have helped to build some of these technologies have realized that it's, you know, the iPhone came out in like 2008, 2007, 2008. So we really are only 15 years in to this technology. And, you know, as so many things with humans go, it goes, you know, here's this new thing, here's the amazing problems it solves. And then it's a bit further down the road where we're like, oh, here's all the problems, new problems it's creating. And then we have the overcorrections and the, you know, luckily there are people trying to address these problems like yourself, authors, some technologists who help build the technology, like Tristan Harris and people creating foundations for, for trying to address some of these problems. But yeah, this podcast I listened to the other day was talking about how there's even like I think I think it might be like like a, a group of kids in like New York or something who have sort of there there's been some stories on them or something because they've all decided like Saw these that. smartphones these smartphones are like I actually because of how addictive I know that this is for me like I actually did a behavioral addiction program as uh, an outpatient with uh, Cam H in I'm in Toronto and Cam H is our our mental health uh, organization and I went to them because I was struggling with some, a bunch of stuff uh, a few years ago but I, I had realized that in like a clinical sense this is a problem how much time I'm spending on my phone is keeping me from my hobbies and working on things outside of my regular job and work life chores and and relationships that it's like, it's holding me back in my life and it's causing me a lot of problems. Right. So I look at this and I go like this, you know, like you're saying it being an extension of us. Like I, I look at my phone as being an external hard drive of myself, of my brain. It's like it, it holds so much information for me that Mm -hmm. I know I don't have to remember because I have access to it. And that, that feeling of almost like anxiety that comes up or even like a twinge of like panic. If I leave my house, which I I don't, I don't, it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes I'll realize halfway out to, to work that, Oh shit, I forgot my phone at home. And then it's almost like this small feeling of, of dread almost. And it's because (laughs) it's like, 
it's not just my phone. It's actually a part of myself. And it's my ability to communicate with my friends and family or just know what's going on. Or I might, you know, have a bunch of messages come in that I don't get to read until I get home. And I can't even let anyone know like, hey, if you're trying to get a hold of me, I, I forgot my phone at home or whatever. Right. But it's your digital yeah. soul. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And I, I look at it also the 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 sheer level of addictive potential and yeah. and that I, I struggle with on a on a very real uh, kind of sense. I look at it as being like this is it is an amazingly powerful tool, but it's also an incredibly dangerous temptation for the negative repercussions that it can have but anyway the uh the group of kids i think they're saying in like new york i guess have realized something sort of similar where they're like this these are actually too much for us to handle in some way and we don't we don't want and we don't need to have this device on us and even that we call them phones is still kind of silly it's like right. <laughs> it makes sense it makes sense because of they were phones when they were just right. text and just text and audio. And then suddenly it's like, no, these are supercomputers that every single one of us has in our pocket. They essentially are making us like walking cyborgs with access to all of humanity's recorded history pretty much for free. You know, it's like it's more powerful than the president of the United States had up until recent history, you know. And so these kids, I guess, have decided that they're all going to just get flip phones and they're going to like meet at, at the park once a week to have like a book club or something. And the person on the podcast that I was listening to was like, yo, these kids sound cool, man. Like, I think I need to get myself into like a park book club or something. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I tell people all the time, I have a lot of hope and faith in the next generation because I do think there's a difference in the generations that between um, digital natives, um, you know, Gen Z and younger, and then millennials and Gen X and boomers, it affects us all. Mm -hmm. But we all came in at different times of that development. And so therefore we bring um, uh, our experiences and our way of seeing the world into those contexts. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's really important to understand that. But I, I believe that the digital natives have an advantage to go, um, you know, there's a different, there's a different way out, uh, out there. Um, and, it, and because it is their native language, um, they can say, I, we understand it. We understand the nuances. We understand uh, what the power of it, but we also can easily see where it's lacking and affecting us. Whereas, for instance, one of the, the biggest concerns that, that I have in a lot of the studies that I'm seeing now is in the is in the boomer generation, the olders, you know, 60 and up. They're really struggling. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but next time you're out, if you see an older couple at a restaurant or walking down the street, most of the time they're sitting there on their phones, not even mm. talking to one another. And they'll do that for hours and hours. Um, and maybe it's because they got in late and it, and they're just trying to catch up. But I also think too, um, it's partly because of being growing up in an era where to some degree you trusted media, 
you trusted, you didn't question, you only had a few, you know, you had Walter Cronkite <laughs> yeah, stations. Yeah. And so therefore you just translate that training of your brain and, and culture into the phone and you have to go, Hey, Hey mom, what you just sent me, that's not true. That's fake. Um, you know, they're, they're believing they're engaging, they're getting, um, agitated by, by news things. Um, and they're just getting sucked into it. So it's really important, I think, generationally. And we lay that out in our book, too, like to understand what's going on in the minds of different generations. Um, right. So I think that's a, that's an important fact, too. But I, I have faith in the next generation. I believe they're going to lead the way in it and hopefully solve this. <laughs> um, but it might be painful getting there. Oh, I'm sure it will be. It seems like everything we do is quite painful in one way or another, especially <laughs> exactly. these days with how uh, just how divided and, and well, I mean, you know, the the world is changing in just so many drastic ways, not just with technology and, um, you know, different political controversies and whatnot but it's like we have the destabilization of globalism and a return to great global power wars and stuff like that like it's it really is a lot to it is to try to try to wrap our heads around and yeah when you when you said that you have faith in the the newer generation I felt like I kind of was like laughing a bit because I feel like they I I think the I I, I would say probably rightly so for certain reasons, the the young Gen Z, as they're, they're termed, the younger generation after millennials, they get sort of shit on a lot. Because right, absolutely. Of, because, well, it's almost like what's coming to mind kind of right now is almost like it's like you think of someone like Justin Bieber. It's like this was a kid who got world famous and then grew up in the like spotlight in a way that is like just like on steroids compared to to anything in previous generations and now it's kind of like well that's kind of what everyone is going through now and so it's like it's it's so easy to see the the mistakes and the problems and the fuck ups and to shit on this new generation as being this you know weak snowflake who needs safe spaces for for everything and trigger warnings and all this stuff but so it seems like you know you're in a, you're in a minority <laughs> sharing that you have have faith in them, but I think that's probably a a pretty healthy place to stand because one, well, I can't think, be, yeah, yeah go, it, like you on. said with the uh, with the article in the podcast that you heard about these kids, you know, I, I I'm hearing that too. You, you don't, it doesn't get the publicity because it's positive news, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and and I have a Gen Z myself. I have millennial. I have a millennial one right in the middle, and then I have one that's sixteen. And uh, he he definitely seems to be and his friends a lot more self aware than even my millennial kids because yeah. Um, again, it's a it's the native it's the native side of it. It's almost like if you if you were uh, born in another country. Um, and your native language was of that country, but your siblings and everybody around you was their second language, right, you would right. understand the nuances and the meanings behind and actually uh, have a deeper context because you didn't have to translate everything in your head yeah. from one language to another. Uh, I think that could be what's going on because 
you know, I'm immersed in digital life and I have been for a long time as a Gen Xer, but my, but my, but my Gen Z, you'll say, Hey dad, did you see that? I'm like, I don't get it. He's like, well, (laughs) it means this meme actually means this because it means this because it means this. And that's very native to them. Right. So, um, I, I think I think there's definitely the ones that are coming up that want something different that are, you know, they already have a social awareness and they want to push for social good. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, they have their faults like all of us have and did and do. Um, but I do think that I have I have faith. We're pretty resilient as human beings. Yeah. Um, you know, I just wrote an article on uh, AI and and. The how we view where our views of AI come from, mm-hmm. and um, I think we have to be careful uh, that in the West we've had a healthy dose of of dystopian science fiction for about a hundred years. Yeah, uh, but if you see some of the studies coming out of the East, uh, specifically Eastern Asia, um, they believe and they have a. a a much more uh, affinity toward technology and artificial intelligence because their culture, uh, their, their lore, their, their movies always portrayed robots and computers as helpers and as friends. Yeah. And so um, I'm always trying to check myself to go, is this really just culture and media that I'm influenced by, or is this actually what's going on? And so if we can parse those things and when we think about, you know, the future media, but I'm also reminded of the E.O. Wilson quote. He was a famous biologist who said uh, the problem with humanity is we have uh, paleolithic brains or emotions, yeah. medieval institutions and godlike technology. Tristan yeah. Harris uses that a lot, too. Mm-hmm. And the point is, our technology is always going to be way ahead and it's only going to get farther separated light years from our physiological brains i mean let's be honest we have mm. the same brains and emotions than we did 10,000 years ago um we might know a little more yeah but we respond the same way our physiological fight or flight parasympathetic nervous system uh wants desires needs for love safety all of those are haven't changed yeah. And so we can't cram our brains into, um, you know, our technology that many times is way out in front of us. So we just got to figure out how do we do that dance and how do we allow it to serve us rather than us serve it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that quote actually reminds me. There's a a, a rap group that I, I like called Bliss and Esso, and it's an American mm-hmm. rapper and an Australian rapper, and they have like an old school DJ and one of the lyrics that I really like from one of their songs says that we exist in a bizarre combination of stone age emotions, medieval beliefs and godlike technology many people can reach. And yeah, yeah, they stole that from E.O. Wilson, I think. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it's well, actually, one of my mentors years ago who um, he he was part of an organization. I did some like leadership programs through, and then I ended up doing um, some meditation programs of his that he had developed. And, and he talked about, about that, how like, we're also every 
type of human being that has ever existed. We're all on earth together right now. Like we still have indigenous tribes that are like uncontacted in the Amazon yep. rainforest and elsewhere. And obviously there's, there's few of those, but then we have like people that are still farming. Like we did 10,000 years ago. And then we have, you know, these, urbanization into major city centers and these like major cities that never existed before in the way that they do now. And then these like technological people and biohackers. And it's like every kind of human that has ever existed are currently on the planet right now together. So it's almost like we have stone age and bronze age and, yep. you know, new, new technological age uh, humans all living together. And yeah, mm. it's just, it's, Oh, it's a lot, man. It seems, it seems like the the problems are so complex and so overwhelming that, like, it's. I, I constantly am. I I, I deliver uh, groceries for an organic food company here in mm -hmm. uh, in Toronto, and so I listen to podcasts all day basically. And I'm always trying to understand, you know, I, I say my, my podcast unapologetically human is about trying to understand myself, other people in this crazy modern world that we're living in. And it's, it just seems like the, the sheer amount of problems that we have and amazing technological advancements and, you know, the myriad solutions we're finding to so many of our greatest challenges and stuff is all happening at once. And it's kind of like, it really, it, I do find it really kind of pertinent and relatable how you guys are talking about in the book that th this is also traumatizing us as well. Right. It's like, I feel like I I have the, um, the luxury to, to some degree to be able to listen to podcasts while I'm working and I'm learning about things that I'm interested in and I'm trying to understand myself more and my own psychology and the challenges I'm trying to overcome and what really is like happening in the world with all these complex challenges and just feeling so overwhelmed. So I feel for the new generation, like you're saying as well, having no context other than this is the world, right? Like, this is the world now. And I, I do find it to be somewhat hopeful as well, like you're saying, because it, it helps to have, you know, like a 16 year old kid. And I have a, a, a few nephews that are between kind of like 16 and 20 as well. And um, just knowing that, well, this, this generation is coming of age. And so they're becoming adults, they're deciding, you know, what problems they want to focus on working on finding solutions towards and there's going to like like we always do as humans because we are resilient and we're versatile they're going to come up with novel new technologies and solutions to to actually fight and combat the the problems that are arising from what our generation has, has absolutely created, right yeah I agree. And I think it's, I think it's important to remember that, that um, every generation, I believe, has something to learn from the previous, the one older and the one coming up. Mm -hmm. And if we can always remember that, I think I try to practice that is like, what can I learn from my kids? And then what can they learn from me? And then what can I learn from generations older? Because I think it's human nature 
that every generation from the beginning of time falls into, you know, well, back in my day, you know, it's like we fantasize, romanticize that it was somehow better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite possible that some things were, but when we were young, like the time right now, these are the good old days to somebody, right? To my kids, this is going to be the good old days. <laughs> and then when I was back there, my parents were going, well, back in my day. So, you know, it's just this ongoing, never-ending wheel of life. And so I think if we can remember that and go, okay, I remember, I remember my parents and I remember, and now I look back and I'm like, I learned so much, but I also learned some things that I'm glad we don't do as human beings anymore. Yeah. And if we can if we can always keep that mindset at all throughout our whole lifespan of going, you know, they're going to do things better um, and they mm-hmm. might get some things wrong and hopefully they'll learn some things from us, but also uh, they're going to be sitting in this podcast or whatever version of it is 20 years from now or whenever going, you know, I'm really glad we don't do the things uh, the way that we used to do anymore. I think it's better Um you know, it, it's, it's more human now. It, it's better for us psychologically. So that's the hope I have. I think um, what our jobs are now, um, I, you know, I asked Jenny when we first started writing this book, I'll, I'll give you one more thing. Mm. I said, and I don't know what made me ask her this, but I said, Jenny, if I was an alien, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, no, flip it. If you were an alien, and you still had your psychological training about human beings, but somehow you were an alien and you hadn't been in this world, or maybe you were frozen in time and came forward. Um, and you were to look around and see what was going on in the world with all screen life, but you didn't know anything about it. All you did was see the people, how they were acting, what they were dealing with. And you didn't know about screen life. You didn't know about social media, but you just fell on this earth. What would you say is going on? Like, <laughs> what would you, how would you observe that? Like, what, what would be your, she thought for a moment and she said, I would say that these people have been bullied and abused. Mm-hmm. She says, because that's the type of thing I see in my office is people coming in acting like they've been traumatized and abused and bullied, but there's no instance of abuse. There's no instance of being bullied. Right. Uh, that's the, that's what's going on. I think it's like no specific event. Exactly. It's just like the being steeped in the environment. Yeah. 10, 15 years ago, if someone came in with the same feeling, you would go, okay, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. But now it's not what happened to you. It's these this heavy dose of living in a reality that's an alternate reality that we're getting this done. It never stops. It never it's like stops. There's no, there's no specific incident because it's to some degree, it's we're just being bombarded all day, every day with all of the biggest controversies and tragedies in the world and that obviously there's like a massive uh issue with you know even traditional quote-unquote traditional media before you know the internet tv and newspapers and stuff this business model where it bleeds it leads it's like we're we're constantly being fed 
all the worst news of what's happening in the world and whatnot, you know? So, so I think if yeah. we can take that and take that mindset um, to go, okay, I'm going to control my own life. I'm mm-hmm. going to be bored. I'm not going to pull up <laughs> the phone. Um, I'm not going to, I'm going to set boundaries uh, just like I do in my real life. I'm going to set that in my digital life too and say, you know, you, you can't have my attention today. Um, you're not going to hijack, you know, my hours today. And, and that's a battle for all of us. But luckily, there are more tools out there. You know, before I started this podcast, I put on the focus uh, setting on my iPhone. Um, and I'm learning how to do that more and more throughout yeah. the day uh, to get things done, to not be distracted and pulled away. And I think we all have to make those decisions individually, what works for us. For sure. Well, here, I'm guessing you're probably our time is coming up. You got to get going yeah. or yeah, oh, whatever. If you have any more questions, we'll, let's. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll continue to see, you know, people working on solutions to these problems. And it, I, I find it to be challenging because it seems like the, the things that we need to change have to happen on the scale of the individual first before they can happen on larger scales mm-hmm. and they tend to almost like this idea that nothing ever nothing's ever good enough or nothing's ever fast enough as, mm-hmm. as far as we want it to so it's it's i think going to be a lot more incremental than we might we might hope but that we do see more and more of a a move towards you know, recognizing the challenges that we're faced with, with these new technologies and whatnot. And yeah, you um, mentioned Tristan Harris, and I, mm-hmm. I also listen and follow him as well. And he's mentioned this, and and I would agree with him. Um, to your point of what you just said, it's, it's, we have responded to issues like this in the past, like the tobacco industry, like pharmaceuticals, that we're still dealing with where, mm-hmm. you know, it was a huge industry um, that made money uh, arguably nefariously or maybe ignorantly off of people of uh, and using people uh, ultimately that harmed them in, mm-hmm. in ways, for instance, tobacco industry that literally causes cancer and kills people uh, in the, in the, in the, the format of pharmaceuticals, the same thing. It, it kills people, harms them, creates addictions. Um, but w- we had to get to the point where we said, okay, we're going to create some real serious laws and regulations. Mm-hmm. We're not going to take away people's ability to smoke. You can go smoke all you want, but here's the guidelines. You can't mm-hmm. advertise it to kids. It's you can't lie that it's not addictive. You can't to lie Cong- that it's not addictive. to Congress. <laughs> you have to make it very clear in all your packaging that it's that that it causes cancer. Mm-hmm. You're not. You can't do it inside of a public area, but you can go outside or in your house or on your porch and smoke all you want. Yeah, you can't so, advertise anymore. You yeah, know, you can't so, even have the packages visible anymore, which is yeah. probably something we're going to see happening around alcohol and and stuff as well as we go forward or hopefully we do because i think so yeah i think we will and, and, and around because, social media and screen life that that's yeah. my point is i i don't know if that'll happen in the next couple of years the next 10 years 20 years but i think we've got to you know that's a controversial especially here in the states with our 
individual liberties, you know, people will push back many times and say, well, what are you saying, Bob? You're saying you want the government to get involved with, with free speech and social media? Well, what I'm saying is we know it's killing people, literally. We know it's harming people and killing people. We know we, when, we, when we figured out that was happening with tobacco and pharmaceuticals and seatbelts and cars and shall I go on? Yeah. We, we created regulations that saved people's lives. Now, are we going to do that with these things that we know we have the studies we know the effects. We know it anecdotally. All of us know it. Um, depression, suicide is at an all-time high. I'm not saying it's all social media and screen life, but mm. I'm saying there's some really, really, really strong studies and connections out there. Yeah. And uh, not to mention the Facebook files that they tried to hide, um, you know, where they themselves internally brought in psychologists to study the effects of it. And then it was leaked. It was uh, leaked. I don't know if you remember that a couple of years ago. Yeah. What was it, her name? Francis Hogan. Francis. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, but that's one of the challenges too. It's like the Panama papers. It's like these things yeah. come out and then, you know, us actually the, I, I guess the, the lag between our ability to determine that something is in fact a massive problem. And here's, Here's like, you know, the problem landscape and then finding solutions, coming up with solutions and then the further actually being able to implement them, especially when it takes a lot of, you know, behavioral change on the individual level. It's uh, it's challenging, but I, I too am looking uh, with some optimism that we're going to, you know, as rocky as it, as it might seem it is right now and as rocky as it's going to probably continue to be, you know, they say things tend to have to get much worse before they get better. Absolutely. I, uh, Any I'm new hopeful. technology. I mean, I'm sure when the automobile hit the roads, um, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Well, it's the same as even the the printing press apparently yeah. caused a lot of a lot of the same problems that we're seeing now with the, you know, lack of gatekeeping from larger media organizations institutions like newspapers and television networks it's like this is this is not the first time we've been through this and it's not probably going to be the last and we we are we are capable of and we have a good track record fairly fairly great track record of uh you know finding ways through it and making corrections and coming up with new new technologies and new ways of interacting with them and with each other and that we're we're gonna get through this and i think that's something that uh that's a message that people people definitely need so i i really appreciate uh you know people like you taking the time and the the energy the effort to actually look at a problem find solutions make a book about it and to have conversations like this to hopefully not just inform people to have some some hope for the future because there there is a way forward but to actually you know be on kind of the front lines i guess that's kind of what i'm saying too about how like it always seems like it's it's slower the the changes because it really is in the creating of books and the having of conversations that you know kind of goes through our society it goes through people like we're this networked organism basically right so i appreciate right. 
I appreciate you and, and your book and the conversation and what you're Thank doing. You. Thanks and, for having um, me. Yeah. Could you, if, uh, if you have anywhere, where can people find more about the book, buy the book, uh, what's your website, social yeah. media, anything like yeah, that? It's, uh, the book is called Our Digital Soul. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can also go to ourdigitalsoul.com. I've got a little landing page set up there where you can, um, you know, sign up for our email list or order the book. Um, you can follow me. I'm Bob Hutchins on Twitter, BW Hutchins on Instagram, and you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I spend a lot of my time on LinkedIn writing a lot of articles and content there. Um, so if anybody wants to reach out to me, please do. I encourage everybody to get the book, read it, uh, leave leave a, a nice review that really helps to get the word out. We're self-published uh, on a little our own little label. So um, we don't have the big budgets to, to get the word out. So anything you can do to help us would be greatly appreciated. Cool, man. Well, I'm, I'm happy. I'm really, I'm really uh, honored to be able to have a platform where I can invite people on and have conversations like this. And I really appreciate you reaching out and that we were able to do this. And Absolutely. I, I wish you the best in the work that you're doing, including book sales, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> someone, someone will hear this and go, Oh, that book sounds really interesting. And uh, no, the work that you're doing is important. So I really, yeah. really appreciate it. And thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Okay, we'll well, have a great soon. day. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Good job. You look amazing. Oh, great. Oh, man, you're the best. Oh, wow. You look hot today. You go, you're like, I'm going to go walk by that line again. Yeah, you would go. You would go. If that was my life and everywhere I went, that's what people said to me. You'd go. That's really unhealthy. Um, yeah. And yet that's not sustainable. That's not how life is. Just be bored. Just like, hey, brain chill and do whatever you want to do in the background and recharge yourself. Our brains are, have plasticity and we can change. We can, we can heal from this. We're not stuck in this. And this is not uh, something that, that can't be fixed. Uh, any of us at any time can change these behaviors and habits. Yo, these kids sound cool, man. Like I think I need to get myself into like a park book club or something like I have faith in the next generation. I believe they're going to lead the way in it and hopefully solve this. Um, but it might be painful getting there. Oh, I'm sure it will be. It seems like everything we do is quite painful in one way or another, especially <laughs> exactly. these days. This is this is not the first time we've been through this, and it's not probably going to be the last. And we we are we are capable of, and we have a good track record, fairly fairly great track record of. Uh, you know, finding ways through it and making corrections and coming up with new new technologies and new ways of interacting with them and with each other and that we're we're gonna get through this.